morning. You guys can actually say it. Those of you that are here, I could count all of you if I tried. A special welcome for those of you online. I'm sure there are much more of you joining us online. Those of you that are here, I feel like we should hand out some type of prize for making it in, right? This is not a joke. But this morning, we are still going to be in our series, and so I'm going to start off with a story. So about a year ago, my family and I went on a trip to Florida. I'm sure we're all dreaming about Florida right now. And my kids got to ride on an airplane. At the time, my boys were six and nine, and it was the first time my six-year-old had ever been on the plane, and the first time my nine-year-old can remember being on a plane. And so I was sitting next to one of our boys, my husband was sitting next to the other, and we were just watching kind of what their reactions would be like. And it was really special. I have this video on my phone of kind of both of their reactions. My oldest, who was nine, is staring out the window frozen as we're going down the runway. He is frozen. For those of you that spend much time with nine-year-old boys, you know them being frozen ever is not normal. And so he's frozen until that moment where like the plane goes in the air, right? And you feel that weird thing where you kind of feel like you're being squished or whatever it is. And he smiles, he looks at us, he's like, oh my gosh, this is great. Then I look over to my son, who I'm sitting next to, my six-year-old, and he is glued to his iPad. He's just staring at it, and I have to nudge him and say, oh, yeah, pay attention, look. And so when he like, looks up and looks out the window, he's like, oh, as he's watching this giant world that he knows get smaller and smaller and smaller. And right, for the next few hours, they got to have snacks and drinks and more screen time than they ever normally get, as they simply got to spend some time enjoying life. They had this moment of like, oh my goodness, this is the life. And I'm imagining all of us at some point have experienced a moment like that or multiple moments. We're like, oh my goodness, this is the life. And this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about what it means to live the way God, through the person of Jesus, intended for us to live. Life is so much more than these vacation moments. What if the amazing life God offers doesn't come from what we're doing? What if being in relationship with Jesus could connect us with life that is so much more fulfilling than our occasional good life moments? We're in a series called Living the Future, and we've been taking a look at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. And today we're going to look at John 6, verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We're going to be taking a look at God's generous economy, and we'll see that the kingdom of God economy is ghastly generous. Jesus is the embodiment of God's generosity, and through Jesus, we get to experience this life that's really worth living, built on a lifestyle of dependence and trust. God's economy isn't built on what we earn, it's built on what he gives. So before we dive in, I'm going to take a moment and pray. God, thank you that you're with us this morning. Whether here, in person, or maybe snuggled up on our couch at home, Holy Spirit, would you come in surprising ways. God, would we get to taste a piece of your generosity that we didn't even know was possible this morning. I pray that today would be an opportunity to understand an aspect of you in a new way. Amen. 
All right, let's begin with this idea that Jesus is the source of this life that's worth living. Here's what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say he's a path to or three steps to or a program we can buy to find the bread of life. He says it's him. He says he's it. He's the food that sustains us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the Greek word used here for life in this statement is the word rio. Rio means quality of life. Jesus wants to teach us that there's a difference between existing and living. When the Bible talks about eternal life, it doesn't mean life that goes on forever. That's eternal existence, and that's the definition of hell. Hell is eternal existence without Jesus. Jesus says, I am the source of an incredible life that's worth living. When Jesus uses this I am statement, he's saying something extraordinary. To understand what he's saying, we need to take a step back into the Old Testament, into Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is interacting with God at a burning bush. I know it's super weird, but hang with me. He's interacting with this burning bush, and maybe like any of us would, we'd probably actually go, why is this burning bush talking to me? One. And then two, we'd say, who is talking to me? And so when Moses says to God, who is talking to me, God simply says, I am. When God says, I am, he's telling Moses who he is and what he's like. God is saying, I am eternal, constant, infinite. I am being and existence itself. Jesus is making a claim in this statement, as well as the six other I am statements found in the book of God, of John, that he is, I am. These I am statements describe characteristics about Jesus that are characteristics about God himself. Jesus is claiming that he is God. Jesus, God in human form, being in existence itself, wants us to know who he is, what he's like, and embrace his all-you-can-eat buffet of resources he has for each of us. The way he provides those endless resources is incredibly generous. To make sense of what God gives us through Jesus, we need to start with understanding our own inherent, underdeveloped system of right and wrong, of fairness and justice, and how that is contrary to the kingdom of God. To understand what his generosity is, we need to start with understanding what his generosity isn't. God's generosity is not transactional. And we make transactions Every day, a lot of us, right, anytime we make a purchase, purchase made, we pay for it. Transaction made. Our relationships with each other can be transactional as well. And we start to learn about this transactional nature of our world from a really young age. We experience love from our parents when we listen and obey. We get higher grades and when we perform well on projects and exams. We get medals when we win a competition. God's love and what he gives us in Jesus isn't based on performance, looks, or achievements. It's based on us. No, it's not based on us at all. It's based solely on his infinite love and unconditional acceptance. It's radically generous. As we get in touch with God's economy of generosity, Sorry, I lost my plate. There is an invitation to retrain how we view justice and fairness, how we may view our own ideas of what we ourselves do and don't deserve, and how quick we can be 
to judge what we think someone else does or doesn't deserve. To explain this generosity, Jesus told a story to his friends. This is when we see Jesus' generosity as incredibly offensive. And here's the deal. This is a passage that I personally have been wrestling with. There are places in the Bible that fill us with hope, joy, and encouragement. And then there are ones like Jesus' story about generosity in Matthew 20 that really make me mad. And it's important to wrestle with these parts of the Bible that are upsetting. We learn about ourselves and about God when we get honest with how we are responding to the parts of the Bible that drive us nuts. So let's consider one of those frustrating sections today. If you have a Bible, open it to Matthew 20. If you're here in person, we have Bibles available. And you can turn on, if you have the Bibles here, to page 672. And I'm going to start reading in Matthew 20 in verse 1. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who owned land. He went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to give them the pay for a usual day's work. Then he sent them into the vineyard. About nine o'clock in the morning, he went out again. He saw others standing in the market doing nothing, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you what is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and at three o'clock and did the same thing. About five o'clock, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard spoke to the person who was in charge of the workers, and he said, call the workers and give them their pay. Begin with the last ones I hired, and then go to the first ones. The workers who were hired about five o'clock came, each received the usual day's pay. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received the usual day's pay. When they received it, they began to complain about the owner. These people who were hired last only worked one hour, they said. You have paid them the same as us. We have done most of the work, and we have been out in the hot sun all day. The owner answered one of them, friend, he said. I'm being fair to you. Didn't you agree to work for the usual day's pay? Take your money and go. I want to give the one I hired last the same pay I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Do you feel cheated because I gave so freely to others? So those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. The pay scale in this story is ridiculous. No matter what time of day someone works, early in the morning, nine, noon, three, five, this owner pays everyone the exact same amount. Let's consider how this could look today. Imagine you and your slacker coworker who barely shows up, is sometime hungover, is rude, you don't even understand why they have a job. Imagine you and that person are paid the exact same amount. That would be pretty annoying, right? Jesus says in verse 15, do you feel cheated because I gave so freely to others? I can't speak for you, so I can speak for me. Yes, I do feel cheated. That's not what they earned. That's not what they deserve. That's not fair. This generous God story is infuriating. And that's exactly the point. If the all-knowing, omnipresent God who's aware 
of every mistake we've ever made and every thought we've ever had were to rate our performance based on his scale and his economy, he'd withhold his love from us the way a parent does when a kid is punished and sent to their room. Our report card would be filled with Fs. If we were on trial, we'd be found guilty. We are that slacker coworker. Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned. No one measures up to God's glory. I, yeah, because his standards are incredibly high. Jesus as the bread of life means even though what we've earned is punishment and failure, he gives us not just an eternal life, he offers a fulfilling life that's worth living right now. God's economy is not transactional. He freely gives whatever he wants to whoever he wants whenever he wants to. The first will be last and the last will be first means in God's eyes we're loved unconditionally. He gives what he decides to give each of us because he is grossly generous. Seriously, you guys, it's so annoying for those of us who work so hard. Why does that dummy who did next to nothing get the same as me? For some of us, hearing that we can't earn God's love or favor is depressing. For others of us, we like having a sense of control in our relationship with God. Our relationship with Jesus isn't about how much we think we can earn. It's about how much he gives. And when we get in touch with our identity as a slacker coworker, if, he help, if it helps us understand the magnitude of his generosity, knowing our failures doesn't mean we should spend all our time thinking about how terrible we are. Knowing our shortcomings helps us see how generous God really is. What does it feel like to consider that every one of us, despite our performance, longevity, and skills, earns nothing in God's economy? What does it feel like to think about the hugely generous character of a God who knows everything about us? Maybe like me, you feel annoyed at this passage. Good! Really, when you find stories and passages in the Bible like this one that maybe drive you nuts, consider honestly telling God that they drive you nuts. God loves to sit with us as we honestly examine the Bible. Once we practice making Jesus our source for a life worth living, we are also invited into a lifestyle of depending on him to meet our needs. John 6, 35 again says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, come to me. We have a choice to lean in, to step towards, or not. Action is required. A move towards Jesus as our source means we are making a choice to depend on him. And dependence is the opposite of the way our culture defines success, satisfaction, and fulfillment. Dependence is weak, unless it's for tax purposes, and then dependents are great. But otherwise, dependents are terrible. We have to choose whether or not we're going to lean on Jesus or ourselves or something or someone else. In college, uh, five days a week, I would run 10 miles. And then after that, I would do strength training for like 45-ish minutes. 
I would skip breakfast every single day, and then at lunch I had this rule. I would have a frozen meal, but I would look on the back of the frozen meal, and it had to be 250 calories or less. And then at dinner, I pretty much ate whatever I wanted. But in order to feel good about myself, to feel accepted, I decided that I needed to be really skinny. Success was my size zero jeans. I was controlling my size and from that, trying to control the narrative of who other people said and thought I was. Wow, look at her, she's so committed to working out and taking care of herself. As I was putting my body through hell as I was overexerting and starving it. I was the most insecure I've ever been in my life. I was so miserable. Self-reliance and control might satisfy us temporarily, but our resources are limited. We'll eventually run out and not be able to meet our own needs. Our bodies stop working like they did in their 20s. What once satisfied eventually isn't enough. Everything and everyone will eventually let us down. Jesus invites us to depend on the only thing and the only person who will never let us down through his unending supply of generosity. Left to our own devices, we think we need to look out for ourselves first. It's hard to consider that if we maybe take our eyes off our circumstances and look towards Jesus, if we hand him the things in life that weigh us down and no longer meet our needs, that we might actually get to experience this life that's worth living that Jesus promised us. So how can we practice dependence? Where do we start? I'd like to suggest that it's like a friendship. If you were getting to know someone, what would you do? To build a relationship, it means actions required. We choose to interact with and spend time with someone or not. We can spend time with God by reading the Bible. That seems pretty obvious. Cool, I came to church, the five of you that did, or those of you joining us online, and she talks to me about reading the Bible. Obviously, hold on, hang in there. Don't just be a passive reader of Scripture. Lean in, move towards. Ask God to speak to you in the Bible. Wrestle with Scriptures like the one in Matthew 20. The Bible can sometimes also be really tough to read. And so I want to offer a really practical thing that I think can help. If you find the Bible super confusing and frustrating, consider checking out a children's Bible. Of course, the kids pastor is talking us about kids Bibles. You guys, kids Bibles are incredible. The Bible is alive and active and filled with stories that are difficult to understand when we aren't familiar with the time, culture, and place it was written. Starting with a kid's Bible helps us understand the themes and stories of the Bible in a way that's simple to digest. And I have two of my favorite kid's Bibles. There they are. There's the Jesus Storybook Bible and the Laugh and Grow Bible for kids. Guys, we're all kids in the economy of God. I'm telling you, these Bibles are incredible. I read them regularly. I can consider checking them out. Another suggestion to grow independence is to have a conversation with God. Get to know his voice as you pray. Those random thoughts that pop into our heads or those emotions we suddenly experience that we can't explain might actually be the I am God speaking to us. I got to have a great conversation with someone this week who described his relationship with God as skeptical and that his walls were up. 
and he prays, and he comes to church every week. I found the conversation so encouraging because he was being vulnerable. Being honest with our doubts and fears and anxieties and experiencing God's love and acceptance and generosity in the midst of those things is life-changing. Another way to lean in is to hear about what's God, what God has done in the lives of other people. And a great place to do that is in a small group. We've got 28 small groups meeting right now. If you haven't checked out a small group, that's a great way to hear about what God's up to and his incredible generosity in the lives of other people. What do you depend on? Is it yourself? Food? You do or don't eat? Someone else? Is it a substance or pills? Is it your phone and being connected all the time? Is it your job, your power, or position at work? Your money or lack thereof? What might be God inviting you to hand to him so you can pick up this life worth living he wants you to have? When we take a step, when we head towards Jesus, we get to experience life that's really worth living found on the unexpected path of dependence. As we see Jesus as our source for a life worth living, as we depend on his generosity to meet our needs, we begin to build trust. John 6, 35, again, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Trust is built on a foundation of dependence. As we move towards Jesus, we begin to live in his track record of provision and generosity. And then from there, we can start to trust him. But why can we trust Jesus? I think a really important thing for us to consider is that Jesus was a human. Let's consider some of the ways that Jesus understood some of the tensions we feel in our own life. Jesus regularly interacted with rich people and he didn't even have a home or a bed. Do you think he maybe battled with wanting the things that other people had? Jesus was a refugee. Right after he was born, King Herod wanted to kill Jesus, and so since he didn't know where Jesus was, he had all the babies under two that were boys murdered. It's not a story we usually talk about right after Christmas, but in that, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, got a hold of what was going on and left in the middle of the night from their home in Bethlehem in Israel and went to Egypt. Jesus knows what it's like to have nothing and to wonder where your next meal is going to come from. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. Wasn't he overwhelmed with shock, anger, and grief? When people lied about him and wrongly accused him, was he tempted to justify himself and to maybe even take revenge? As events continued to happen in the time before his death, was Jesus on the lookout for a way out of this thing of dying on the cross that God was asking him to do? Getting to know the stories of Jesus help us realize that he understands our current circumstances more than we know. When we believe in Jesus, when we stop staring at ourselves and our limited resources and look at him, we find a life worth living, that extends far beyond moment-by-moment moment pleasures. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. God used the person and sacrifice of Jesus to ensure we would get to embrace a life worth living. As trust is built, when we see God show up generously in our lives and the lives of people around us, as we experience his presence by wrestling in the Bible, as we get to know his voice in prayer and in relationship with other people, that is it, guys. That's the good life. It's not money, a job, family, friends, power, position. It is day-to-day interactions with the omnipresent God of creation who made you and loves you no matter what. And he knows what it's like to be human. That's God's generous economy. And as part of this life worth living, God wants us to enjoy him. Julian of Norwich wrote, what God wants most is to see you smile because you know how much he loves you. He wants you to know him as I am, eternal, constant, infinite existence itself. And he wants you to know he's crazy about you. The worker who worked an entire day and the one who barely did anything got the same. God's love, his provision, his, er- his goodness, it can't be earned. We'll always fall short of his incredibly high bar of perfection. And when we get in touch with like how far below that bar we really are, when we taste how amazingly generous God actually is, we know that when we look up at the bar, it's not about us at all. In the depth of our sin and brokenness with all that God knows about every mistake and bad thought that we've ever had or ever will have. He wants us to smile because we have some small understanding of how much he loves us. When my husband and I got to meet both of our boys for the first time, I was awestruck. I couldn't believe that I got to be a mom to these incredible little humans and little babies. There they are, aren't they cute? Those are my boys. Babies, they're so cute, snuggly, needy, delightful, and weird looking. Don't they look weird when they're fresh? We never talk about that. I think newborn babies look silly. Anyway, as a kid's pastor, I've gotten to watch folks become this hilarious, overjoyed version of themselves as they interact with a tiny baby. We use ridiculous voices and make weird faces as we revel at this marvelous little creature that we get to dote on. God looks at all of us the way many of us look at a newborn baby for the very first time. With awe. He delights in us. He says to each of you, I can't believe you're mine. He is overjoyed with you no matter what. And he wants to be directly generous with us because he's a perfect parent. We, as failures, as slackers, as guilty, are unconditionally loved and accepted. That's not the world system we live in, is it? When we choose to believe that these things are true, we can trust that no matter our current circumstances, God is smiling on each of us and will continue to do so for the rest of our lives. God loves you and me, and it's beyond any human ability and capacity. The narrative of the Bible is of a loving God generously and recklessly pursuing his people. 
God offers them, God offers us unconditional love and acceptance because he delights in who he made. Can we trust that this is true? Can we really? As we kind of finish this morning, I want to invite each of us into a short exercise to practice noticing God's love. And if you're uncomfortable with this, that's okay, and please be honest about that. I'm simply asking all of us to take a step to move towards and to consider open-handedly what if this whole thing about God's remarkable generosity is actually true? So for those of you that are here, I'm going to invite all of you to get comfortable in your seat. If you're joining online, you might be even more comfortable because you're probably at home on your couch, but get comfortable. Close your eyes. And those of you that are here, I will know. I can see all of you. I'm making eye contact with you. If I'm making eye contact with you, you're not doing it. But I'm going to invite everyone. If you're at home, I don't know, but choose. You should close your eyes or not. All right. Take a couple of deep breaths and notice how your heart is beating. Is it fast? Slow? Do you notice a pattern? Pay attention to the rhythm of your heart for a moment. Now I'd like to invite you to imagine Jesus is in front of you. What does he look like? Is he tall or short? What color are his eyes? How long is his hair? Does he have a beard? Imagine he is gazing at you the way a parent looks at a newborn baby. See his joy and delight and shock as he says, I can't believe you're mine. Take a moment to look into his eyes, observe his smile, the wrinkles by his eyes and on his forehead and notice how he couldn't be smiling any bigger. Take a moment to consider how this makes you feel. All right, you did it. I hope it wasn't too weird. If so, that's fine. You can tell me later. We're going to transition into something we call ministry time. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And if you're on the prayer ministry team, I'd love to invite you up as well. And for everyone else, I'd like to invite you to stand. Here's what ministry time is. Really simply, it's an opportunity for us to respond and consider getting some prayer to anything that God maybe has bubbled up during our time together. Here's a couple of things that I think he might be up to as I was praying about this morning. There are some of us that have like, the picture that I saw was like a roadblock to God's generosity. Whether it's 
something we've done, whether it's something we're currently doing, a pattern, a thing in our life that we just can't break, we go, I get that God's generosity is like for all these other humans, but for me, I just can't actually get there. Friends, there's something really powerful that happens when we bring the darkness, when we bring our secrets into the light and actually speak them out. Guys, I've watched it over and over again. The power is broken when we actually trust that God can do something when we're honest about these roadblocks in our lives. And then for some of us, we can imagine generosity for ourselves, but there's that person. There's that person that we go, mm, God's generosity, I get it, I get it, I get it, but what about this person? This person I can't imagine receiving God's generosity. It's not fair. They haven't earned it. They don't deserve it. This is ridiculous. For those of you that are maybe there, there might be an invitation towards walking forward in forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't always happen once or twice, it happens over and over and over again as God does deeper and deeper work in our lives. And sometimes, getting that person that we've given free rent in our mind off a hook opens us up to God's generosity in a way we haven't before. And the one final thing I want us to consider is maybe some of us don't feel like we can actually be honest with God. We come into church, we show up to church online, and we think like, I have to like look a certain way, I have to do a certain thing, like I'm just trying to show up, I just wanna do it right so that my life will get better. Guys, it doesn't work like that. Remember, this generous economy that God works in is completely insane. But for some of us, we've never really been honest with God. We're afraid maybe to be honest with telling him, I don't know that you actually believe or that you exist. I don't know that I actually believe in you. I don't know that you can actually do these ridiculous things that Becca is talking about in her message. I don't know. And friends, we all have an opportunity to step forward in that, to consider what it might look like, to ask for help as we maybe try to get honest in places we didn't think we could. For those that are joining online, we have a prayer team online. There's a button you can click to receive prayer. And otherwise, I would love to invite you to linger, to rest in some of these words, to maybe see what God bubbles up to you that we talked about this morning, and just rest in his presence a little bit. Friends, the snow's gonna keep falling. We've all got nowhere to go, let's be clear. Let's rest. Let's experience what God might have for us this morning. Thanks for joining us.